Welcome again. I want to welcome you also online who are watching today from somewhere warm and cozy, I pray. Glad that you are here today. We're continuing our series called It Is Well. And who doesn't want to be well? Who doesn't want to have a balanced life? Well, if this is your first time to hear a message in this series, I encourage you to go back and listen to the other two. And the first message after the new year, Pastor Dion was up here and he talked about the body based on 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Therefore, glorify God with your body. You know, God has given us our body. And regardless of what has happened to our body, it's a means by which we can glorify God. And God indwells in that body. That's an important message. And he did just a great job with that. A lot of practical advice, all from God's understanding. And then last week, you got to meet for the first time Pastor Doug. Didn't he do an awesome job? Yeah. I love that message. He talked about the mind. So we had the body and the mind. And that was on the basis of Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I thought, wow, that's a good message because your mind controls your body. Well, today I want to talk about the whole spirit or having the right spirit because our bodies are made up of uh, the mind, the body, and the soul. I want to talk today about that moment, that defining moment when the Lord came into your life, when you first believed. You could not first believe except that God would enter into you and indwell in your spirit. We're going to look at that in just a moment. I want to talk about that defining moment. And this is different than what you often hear in church because Almost every week it seems like we're talking about an event in a prophet's life and the teaching that he wanted to share with us from the wisdom of God or we're focusing on an event in the life of Jesus because he was Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, he was revealing in his interaction with people the very values of God as he walked and acted among us. How he was born miraculously, how he lived how he suffered, how he died, and how he rose again from the death. That's the objective truth upon which our faith is based. And rightfully, that gets emphasized every week here, and lessons come out of that teaching. But I want to talk about the uniqueness that is you. Not just the objective facts of what God has done to save you, but how God wants a personal relationship with you. The defining moment that you would embrace what God intends for your faith to be. Not a theology meant to be understood and accepted. Not a religion of teaching or belief to be followed. Not an organization or a denomination that you can join. I'm talking today about words that are very extremely personal so that your faith finds a different expression than my faith because your circumstance, your relationships, your situation in life is different than mine. But God wants to play a role in that personally for you, and he indwells in you for that reason. I'm talking about words like unique, intimate, personal, distinct, fluid, dynamic, direct, living, breathing. Not just that objective truth about what God has done for you, but the difference it means in your life that would be different than my life because our circumstance is different. Well, what do I mean when I talk about a defining moment? Well, let me just give you a, a historic illustration because that is my way. 
You probably know uh, Helen Keller. If you graduated high school, you've probably heard of her. She was born in 1880. Uh, she lived to 1968, 87 years old. You know, and, and she was revolutionary when it comes to understanding how to teach people who are blind or who are deaf. She was actually born a well child. There was nothing wrong with her when she was born, but back in 1880, uh, she contracted a disease of some sort when she was a year and a half old. We're not really sure. There's speculation about what that might have been, some form of meningitis or maybe scarlet fever. But it left her unable to see, unable to hear. She was born into a family of means, and her father actually knew Alexander Graham Bell, who took her on as a project. You know, took his little girl on as a project and said, you know, I want to help you with her. And, and so at the age of seven or so, Alexander Graham Bell brought into their life a mentor, a teacher, uh, by the name of Ann Sullivan. Now, when I speak about Helen Keller, uh, I, I think about all the great quotes that I have drawn from her life because people who come out of adversity learn a lot. And one of the quotes was, uh, avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. She became an advocate for all kinds of physical disabilities. She became an advocate for the poor, uh, industrial revolution. She became a spokesman for women's suffrage. But what was her defining moment? What did you think was the defining moment for Helen Keller? Did you see the movie Miracle Worker? You know. What was it? It was when, uh, this is actually at her home now, which has become a historic site in Tuscumbia, Alabama, uh, when she came to that well. And she was out with uh, her teacher, uh, her mentor, and, and they heard a servant pumping water. And she brought her over there, and she put her hands under the water, and she spelled out water. Water, water. And suddenly the lights went on for Helen Keller. And they said before the end of that day, she had learned 30 other words. Like that was the turning point for her. That's what a lot of people would say. In fact, it's been memorialized in a bronze statue that sits uh, near that old pump. But I contend that the defining moment actually occurred before that moment. And it enabled that moment to occur. It's recorded by Ann Sullivan, her teacher, in her own diary. Here's how she wrote about it. The first night I arrived, I gave Helen a doll. And as she felt the doll with one hand, I slowly formed in the palm of her other hand, D-O-L-L, D-O-L-L. And Helen was a sharp child, and she immediately did the same in the hand of her teacher, but it was just a game to her. She didn't understand the connection between the thing and the letters. She was quick to learn, Anne says, but she was also quick to anger. For seven years, no one had taught her self-control. Instead of continuing to learn, she picked up the doll I'd given it to her and threw it against the wall. She was this way in almost everything she did. Even at the table while eating, she did exactly as she pleased. She even walked around the table and put her hands in other people's food. The second morning, I would not let her put her hand in my plate. Her parents became troubled and they left the room. I got up and locked the door. <laughs> Helen was on the floor kicking and screaming. You've had a two-year-old. You know what that's like. Kicking and screaming and trying to pull the chair out from under me. She was seven. This continued for half an hour. Then she got up from the floor came to find out what I was doing, and hit me. 
Every time she did this, I swatted her hand. After a few minutes of this, she went back to her place and began to eat her food with her fingers. I got up and gave her a spoon to eat with. She threw it on the floor. I forced her out of her chair. We picked up the spoon, and I put her back. At last, after two hours, she sat down and ate her breakfast like other people. I first had to teach her to obey. But it was painful for her parents to see their deaf child punished. So I asked them to let me move with Helen into a small one-room guest house nearby. The first day, Helen kicked and screamed most of the time. And that night, she would not let me put her in her bed. We struggled, but I held her down. Luckily, I was stronger than she was. The next morning, I expected more of the same. But to my surprise, she was calm and even peaceful. Two weeks later, she became a gentle child and was ready to learn. I contend that that fight and the persistence of Ann Sullivan in this war of wills was actually the defining moment that led to the moment of the pump and the discovery of the importance of letters. Now, I told you that in order to tell you this, because I think there's a battle of wills that occurs in all of our lives. You know, if you are a Christian and believe in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. But there is also the flesh in you. There is the uh, body in you that wants what it wants. And these two wage war over the control of your mind. I've designed it this way, you know. We have a spirit and we have a body. And they wage war over the mind. You know, if the flesh controls the mind, the spirit uh, has no authority or no power. But if the spirit controls the mind, then even the flesh will submit. Now, some of us, we all are made up of, of body, mind, and soul. Some of us who have yet to believe in Jesus Christ haven't had this switch flipped on. All the wiring's there. You have the soul. But the soul is dark and does not understand the nature of God or has not yet accepted the reality of God in your life. It's there for you. And for some of us who have been brought into the faith when we were children or so long ago or maybe we've strayed, uh, this has become a very weak part of our life. Today I want to talk about this war that is going on in your life and the importance of the breakthrough that I want you to have. Not just that objective truth about what God has done, but the subjective nature of God's prompting in your life, because I do believe he will prompt you. I do believe that he has a personal plan that he wants to unfold in your life, in your circumstance, that is different than mine. So my goal is threefold. First, to educate us, based on the Scripture, that this is not just some crazy notion that I have devised, but it's actually found in the Scripture. I want to awaken your sensitivity to the indwelling Spirit of God so that you will listen more to the voice of God in your life And then finally, I want to caution you, because you know what? The Spirit of God is not the only Spirit that's loose in the world. How do you discern what is truly the whisper or the prompting of God? Well, that's our threefold goal. Let's pray. Lord, it's a big challenge. So often we are satisfied to just take uh, teachings, just take important principles and values from the stories of the Bible and And try to fit them into our life. But today, Lord, we want to talk about how you live in our heart by virtue of having brought me to faith. And that your spirit resonates to the things that are true uh, in this world that God manages and that God prompts. And, And I want to awaken the sensitivity. I want to awaken my spiritual ear to hear those voices and to hear that message and to move in that direction 
with perfect faith. Lord, help us to accomplish this, we pray in Christ. Amen. Well, the first point is then to educate. And if you are able to say that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you do have the Holy Spirit abiding in you. That should be there. There it is on your screen. And this is based on the truth of God's word, not just my theory. But uh, there is a passage that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that uh, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God who indwells in us, who brought us to faith, uh, can say, Jesus, be cursed. You know, if you are a Christian person, uh, you know that just isn't true. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except that they have the Holy Spirit in them. You know, they, they may acknowledge that he's a historic person. They may acknowledge that he was one of the great, truly great teachers in all the world. In fact, Islam believes that. Believes he was a great prophet. They deny his divinity. So many religions do accept the historic nature of him and the wisdom of him. You know, like some kind of a Buddha. But they don't accept that he is true God. You can only say that if God has brought you to that faith by the prompting of the Spirit. When does that happen? Well, it happens when you hear the Word of God and are convicted by the Word of God as happened at Pentecost. You know, when when Peter and the other disciples uh, received the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised uh, 50 days after he ascended back into heaven, Peter preached an incredible message that day. And thousands of people came to believe. And this is how the Bible talks about it. When the people heard his message, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other followers of Christ, the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? He said, Well, repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and also for your children and for all who are still far off, all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. See, this is why we stress baptism here, and this is why any Christian church that is faithful to the word would stretch, stress baptism. Because this is not just something we do for God. It's not just a declaration that I want to follow Jesus. No, when we are baptized, as God says, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, two things happen. Our sins are washed away, and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God does something to us in baptism. Now, it doesn't work the hope for a miracle once saved, always saved. Just as you give birth to a child, if you don't care for that child, that child can die. And tragically, we see children who die at the hands of their parents and neglect all the time. Faith can also die. Paul talked about those who had suffered the shipwreck of their faith. So you have to continue to nurture that faith. I want to talk about those of us who have believed for a long time and and that, that wick is burning, you know, just flickering almost out. You know, I want to renew a steadfast spirit, you know, within you. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, David said. And and God wants to do that as well. So, first of all, we should know that in baptism, God promises this gift. And then we nurture and uh, grow that gift. This is commanded by God, and it does say that God dwells in us. Now, if he dwells in me, then I know that I have the ability to uh, resonate to the things that are godly. Because God in me resonates to godly things. In fact, uh, it's my goal to awaken those. We're going to look at Romans 8, which is the text for today, beginning at verse 5. But let me first jump down to 14 and 16. It says, For those of us who are led by the Spirit of God are not like everybody else. We are children of God. That is what we are. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. You know, there's (laughs) there's a resonance. The Spirit of God with the Spirit that indwells in me with our spirit, that we are God's children and he has a word for us. 
But don't forget, there's this war because the body wants what the body wants. The devil wants what the devil wants. And he doesn't want you to be sensitive to the prompting of God in your life. His will for your life. Let's look at the text then from Romans 8 beginning at verse 5. We'll read directly through uh, verse 11. Those who live according to the flesh... You know, those who have yet to believe or those who have suppressed the spirit in their life and listen more to their bodily needs, uh, their minds are set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind, this war that's going on, set on what the spirit desires. The mind is governed by the flesh is death. It's a frustration in life and, and those who have lived that way, no matter how successful you are, there's an emptiness to that. You know, that's a dead end. It doesn't bring the satisfaction that you hope for. It's death in life, and it's also eternal death. You know, if you want to live apart from God on earth, uh, that has consequence. If you want to live apart from God in eternity, that too has eternal consequence. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Peace that surpasses understanding, it says in Scripture. The mind governed by the flesh is actually hostile to God. Satan doesn't want you listening to God. Your flesh doesn't want you listening to God. It's hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot even please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, it says. You, however, are not in the realm of flesh. You have that spirit of God dwelling in you if you believe Jesus is Lord. But once you were in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you, And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ, although he extends his hand all day long. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is still subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness in this life and in eternal life. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then the one who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of his spirit who lives in you. We have this resonance. We are children of God, and we have this father-child relationship. And it's a wonderful relationship. And we know that uh, no matter how many children a parent has, a mother or a father, we know that each child is distinct, and each parent parents differently, you know, according to the needs of their child. And that's the relationship that we have by the power of God's indwelling spirit. We have a different relationship based on the same set of circumstance that he has died for me, that he has brought me into his family, but now he ministers to me according to my need. Well, what does that look like? I could tell you what it looks like in my life, but that might not be the best way for you to understand it. Let me use an example of someone that you know. In fact, these people, uh, this couple, uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines, have become uh, darlings of America uh, and are well-known across the country, especially if you are into watching HGTV. You cannot avoid them, but they're also beginning to pop up in other places. Uh, They are living in Waco, Texas, of all places. Now, who would have thought that a couple that's rehabbing houses in Waco, Texas, would become the darlings of America? I mean... Waco, Texas, I don't know how many people have even driven through there unless you were on your way to Dallas or on your way to Austin. Nobody goes to Waco unless you're a Baylor fan or something. And and from that place, they were discovered. They did not promote themselves. You know, God brought attention to them. And it's changed them, and they, through their witness of faith, are beginning also to have an impact in our nation. 
when I talk about God prompting you and speaking to you, I want you to listen to how Joanna Gaines describes it from childhood to her present life. This is her testimony. I remember as a little girl, my mom was Korean and my father was Caucasian, and I never knew there was anything different about myself until I started going to school. And I'll never forget an experience I had with a school lunchroom. You know, I remember standing there and seeing the sea of people, but like all eyes were on me. And I was thinking, you know, who's going to be my friend? Who am I going to sit with? I started walking through that lunchroom, and then I remember darting straight out, and I found a bathroom, locked myself in a stall. Uh, but, but in those moments is when I really believe that that's where the lie was sown, uh, that who I was wasn't good enough. You know, as we all do, I grew up and I grew out of the insecurities, had great friends, great childhood. And I remember in those times, I, I heard him specifically say, you know, Joanna, I have a calling for you. You're going to have a platform one day. And I remember thinking, what does that even mean? And I remember hearing God say, Joanna, there's going to come a time where I'm going to say for you to go, and I'm going to need you to step out and go. After graduating college, you know, a couple years later, I end up meeting this handsome, rugged cowboy who was hilarious, uh, Chip Gaines. And we got married, and he knew that I had this whole thing of businesses that I wanted to start, but he also knew I was never going to just take the risk and start them. I just dreamed about them. And he really encouraged me to step out and make one of those dreams happen. And we opened Magnolia Market together and I loved it, you know, but at that time I was also pregnant with my second child and I really felt like God was saying, hey, I want you home. I want you raising these babies at home at this age. And I remember the last day, you know, we're closing the shop down and I'm crying because again, I feel like it's the end of a dream. And I hear God say very clearly, he said, Joanna, if you trust me with your dreams, I'm going to take Magnolia further than you could have ever dreamed. So just trust me. And I remember hearing that and feeling completely peaceful about it. And I walked away. Well, a couple years ago, we get this call um, from a production company and they ask us to film a quick video of our family and what we do as a business. And that turned into um, the show that we have now. You know, Chip and I laugh. We look back and we just go, how did this all happen? And I remember last year um, in January, Chip and I took a trip to Arizona and, and we were driving around and we found this really beautiful garden and Chip said, I'm going to drop you off here. I'm going to give you about an hour and I want you to kind of reflect on the year before and then just let God speak to you about what this next year is going to look like. And he dropped me off and I'm sitting under this tree and I, I felt like God said, Joe, it's time. And I was like, time for what? And he said, it's time to reopen your store. And I said, I don't, I don't think I can do that. And just cool and calm, no, it's time. May of last year, we reopened the shop on Bosky, the little shop on Bosky. And now I look back and I go, God, your promise that you spoke years ago, I'm now seeing. Um, I trusted you with my dream and you've taken it far beyond what I could have ever dreamed or imagined. You know, I can look back now in the pattern of my life and, and really believe God has a purpose for me, but he also has a purpose for you. And on the other side of that is the enemy where he knows 
He knows where to hit. He knows to hit below the belt. He's going to have that fear be if you fail. And what if you fail in front of all these people? What if you fail and don't find someone in that lunchroom? What if your business fails? Whether it's you're staying home with your children and you're raising beautiful babies or you're the CEO of a multi-million dollar company, let God speak into your life. Let his father heart come and say, this is what I have for you. And I think that's the key, not believing the lies, fixing our eyes on Jesus and walking in that truth. That comes from a lifetime of experience. At first she said, that's where the lie was sown, that I'm nothing special. And nothing special is going to happen to me. You know, a lot of us believe that lie of the flesh or believe that lie of Satan. He doesn't want you to realize that you're a child of God, made so by his indwelling Holy Spirit. But then she began to hear that voice. How many times did she say, I heard God say to me, do you hear God speak to you? You know, is your, is your faith just that objective theological understanding of what the Christian church teaches? Or do you realize that God dwells in your heart and he has a message for you that's different than the message he has for me? And it doesn't always work smoothly. You know, she had this message from God that I'm going to tell you someday to go. And then I want you to go. And, and, and she thought, well, that's opening the store. But then she had babies and she heard God say, you need to be home with your babies right now. And she cried because she was giving up her dream. And he said, don't cry. You know, I'm going to do more with this concept than you can even imagine. She didn't believe it. And then her husband, who's also a godly man, did you hear that too? That he counseled her to listen to the voice of God. Do you have people in your life who are saying, listen to the voice of God? You know, I'm saying that to you today. Listen to the voice of God. And she spent some quiet time. And, and her husband said, let God speak to you. And she heard God speak to her. And he said, now is the time. She says, I don't think so. And he says, no, now is the time. And now was the time. She's attuned to the spirit. She expects the spirit to speak to her spirit and the resonance to occur and the prompting to be, you know, only for her. Even though objectively Christ has died for all of us, there's a different message that he has for you, a different purpose for your life. She said, whether you're a, a mama of some babies or whether you're a CEO, God has a purpose for your life. He gave you this circumstance. He put these people in your life for his pleasure, but it will also grant contentment and joy and fullness to you. And it will change the circumstance of those around you if you heed that voice. Now, I want to get to that last and final point about caution. Because the Spirit of God is not the only spirit at loose in the world. And so, uh, point number three is, I want to caution you. And I want to caution you based again on God's word. This is John. John the Apostle, he describes himself in his gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. You know, see, he already has a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus you know, the, the apostles spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They had this personal relationship that God wants all of us to have. And out of that personal relationship, he shared this truth of God. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets and false spirits have come out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And by prompting, by following that prompting, will Jesus be honored in your life? Will it bring greater recognition to the glory of his name by how you treat your children, how you treat your wife, what you do in any given circumstance, what you do with your business? Will Jesus Christ be honored? 
Every spirit that, it, that does not acknowledge Jesus, that's not a spirit from God. This is the spirit of the opposite, the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already loosed in the world. So the first thing is, you know, does this voice put me in a position to better serve Christ and to bring attention to the fact that he has come in the flesh and he has become my Savior? Secondly, I want to take you to 1 Corinthians 14, another important test of these voices that are whispering in your ear. Because remember, Satan came and whispered in Adam and Eve's ear too. You know, God doesn't want you to do this because then you'll be like him. That's not a voice that honors God. This is the other test that Paul said, you know, to test those voices that you hear, that whispering, that prompting that you feel. Did the word of God originate with you? You know, is this the first time God has ever spoken in the world that he's speaking to you now? Are you the only person that God's word has ever reached? No. If anyone thinks they are a prophet or they think that they have sometimes received a message or are gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is from God. So there's two tests that the Bible offers. First is, does it honor God? Does it bring glory to Jesus Christ? Does it enhance your witness concerning your Savior? Secondly, is it in agreement with the teaching of the prophets and the apostles? Because God isn't going to prompt you to move in a direction that takes you out of his will as clearly expressed in his word. Those are the two cautions as you weigh that voice, as you weigh that prompting that occurs in your life. And let me just give you one more caution, and and that is this, that just as it was true for Helen Keller, uh, not everything is going to immediately go your way, even when you follow the prompting of God. Uh, Even though she had this defining moment when she came to understand that the world had meaning and that the things that she touched had names, and it opened up a whole new world to her, yet that was not the end of things. She said, I knew that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hands. That living word, that moment, awakened my soul. It gave it light. It gave it hope. It gave it joy. It set it on fire. I pray that that's true of the moment that you rekindle your love for Christ or that you receive him into your life. However, she said, there were barriers still. You will still have struggle. Satan is still going to try to trip you. Your flesh is still going to argue against the spirit there are barriers still it is true but barriers that could in time be swept away that same passage from first john where he says test the spirits goes on to say you know greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world you know as 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 you still face struggles as you still face barriers Know that greater is he that is in you. This spirit that indwells in you, that right spirit, that whole spirit, is greater than all the temptations, all the struggles that you will face. And he will renew those, and you can wipe away those barriers and embrace the life that God intends for you, his child. Amen.